Mommy, are there biscuits in heaven? This question was posed to me by my four-year-old son a few months ago. Um, what? Biscuits, Mommy, in heaven. Grandma loves biscuits. They are her favorite. Oh. Eli's great-grandmother died in September at the age of 94. He had adored her. And my husband and I were worried about how he would take the news. We told him in the best terms we knew how that dead meant she was gone from here and that she'd be in God, with God in heaven. He seemed to take it in stride and didn't really talk much about it until that night, right before bed. Well, buddy, I answered, I bet they do have biscuits in heaven. Heaven is full of the things and the people that Grandma loves. Okay. Mommy, does God have a mouth? Uh, I, I don't know. What do you think? I hope God has a mouth. Why in the world do you want to know about God's mouth? Because Grandma will want to share her biscuits with God. She's really good at sharing. Now, friends, I have no idea if God has a mouth. My seminary professors told me many years ago that anthropomorphizing God is the only way that our limited human brains can conceptualize of such a one, but that if we were to expand our theology and our thinking, we would start to understand that God is so much bigger than human form, infinite in being and in doing, limitless in capacity and in knowledge, and in that way, God is so unlike us, so greater than, that it's hard to imagine anything about God being equal to. But then there is that little problem of sharing biscuits. Because what good is a God, limitless or otherwise, who doesn't appreciate the taste of a warm biscuit with butter and honey? I think God recognized this problem and used all that limitlessness to come up with a solution, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. In my estimation, the incarnation is about things like biscuits and honey as much as it is about the promise of the Messiah and the world made new. The incarnation, God made flesh, is about God's desire to be closer to us, beloved creation, to know what hair and tears and blood and dirt and wool and hay and milk and even biscuits are really like. God came to experience the ordinary, the ordinary that we experience all the time. But the other side of that coin is that the incarnation is also about the promise of the Messiah, the inbreaking of God into the world so that we can experience God just as God experiences us. The incarnation, even as we celebrate it year after year, reminds us that hair and tears and blood and dirt and wool and hay and milk and, yes, even biscuits, are all made holy by the presence of a God who chooses to be among us 
every day, all the time. The incarnation means that on this day, a Savior is born to us who will later in his life say, take, eat, drink this, all of you, and the kingdom will come. I've been leading a class through Advent. Many of you were in there with me using the paintings of John August Swanson. He's a painter of many influences, and his art comes out bright and lush and folky and primitive. He has a series of six paintings of the infancy narratives from our gospel readings, and it's reminded me this year that this story is absolutely about God, for sure. But it's also about God's beloved, us, people. It's about shepherds and travelers, about a scared young couple who were sore afraid, and of all of the communities that surround them. You've probably noticed that in famous art, kind of like in our window, our Annunciation window right here, Mary is depicted as sitting alone and idle at the time of the Annunciation. John August Swanson, on the other hand, shows her as a very small detail, a tiny little piece in a great big village, surrounded by people going about their daily lives, sweeping, baking bread, caring for the sick, playing with children. The angels in his painting who visit her with this news are walking in the dust with bare feet on the ground, surprising this young woman while she's feeding her chickens. The walls and the doors and even the clothing all around the village is painted with scenes from the Hebrew Bible. Jonah and the whale, Elijah and the chariot, Queen Esther, Abraham, Ruth. Mary is surrounded by the people of her community engaged in everyday lives and also by the people of her history, people who said yes to God and found their world changed. God came to Mary in this ordinary moment with an extraordinary request. God came to the shepherds in an ordinary time with an extraordinary piece of news. God came to the wise men on an ordinary day with an extraordinary journey. For the Sundays in Advent, Jeffrey has been working with the Lord's Prayer in his sermons. And by proximity, I've had it swirling around in my head as well. The last line of that very familiar prayer, as we all know, is, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. That this line ends the prayer is no accident. On one hand, it is adoration at the end of a prayer filled with requests. Give me the day's bread. Forgive me. Do your will. On the other hand, it is a keen and well-placed reminder to those of us who are praying. It reminds us that this world is not ours, nor is the control, nor is the credit, as much as we try to own them all, they all belong to God and to God alone. But lucky for us, they belong to a God who knows us intimately, a God who knows firsthand how we love and how we hate, how we fail, 
how we try, how we are born, how we live, and ultimately how we die. It's easy on this beautiful day to remember that this is a sweet and wonderful story filled with a mother's hope, a father's jitters, sweet sheep, straw, and a wiggly newborn. It's easy to forget how fraught with political tension this story is from its very inception. God has chosen to bring in the long-awaited Messiah as a baby, born to an unwed mother, born in slovenly conditions. This is not a warrior king as promised. That tiny baby is immediately forced to flee the wrath of a tyrannical earthly ruler who sees that child as a threat. From here, from here, Jesus' life begins. His mere presence threatening to everything that was and is. This story reminds us that even in the form of a tiny baby, God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God is making changes, widening boundaries, imploring us who are so limited to seek the wideness of God's mercy. The great feast of the incarnation, Christmas, reminds us that God breaks through and establishes his reign in ways unexpected and extraordinary. It reminds us again and again that we are not God. We are not in control. But it also reminds us of those biscuits that God came to be incarnate, born into flesh, to love and to feel and to taste as we do. That even in our ordinary lives, we are accompanied by God that we are never alone. Amen.